This is Kevin Evans with the chapter-by-chapter chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are studying the Gospel of John. And last week we finished up chapter 10, which was an uh, extended metaphor about uh, Christ being the shepherd and the church being the sheep. And uh, after two... Actually, I think it's more than that, uh, long metaphors that John has shown us. He gives us the, uh, what, what most commentators call the seventh sign in, in, in Scripture. John organizes his book with um, balance to it. So there are seven different uh, uh, metaphors and stories and teachings, and then there's seven different miracles that he uses to uh, illustrate something. And there were significant moments in Christ's uh, ministry. He doesn't make any attempt to capture all of them or do anything chronological. It's, it's about teaching the, the point of Christ and what, what it's about. And it's the um, boiled down sermon version of the gospel, if, if you can kind of think of it that way. You know. So in chapter 11, we have the next uh, miracle which is the resurrection of Lazarus. And not only is it a significant miracle, but it had all kinds of connotations for Christ's ministry. It had connotations for our walk as Christians. Uh, it, was, it was a significant moment, and John uh, spends the entire chapter capturing that. So uh, he, he spends a lot more time on it. Than, in fact, uh, this doesn't appear in the other synoptic gospels, which I think is curious. In fact, there are a number of curious things when you compare John to the synoptic gospels, and we're about to wade into one here in a minute. Maybe, or maybe, well, we'll, we'll get into that, we'll get into that. Uh, okay, so let's read uh, the first section, and that's gonna be one through verse 16 and uh, discuss that, and then we'll take the next jump. Okay, so uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, who was bro whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And there are other translations of that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? And Jesus answered, <clears throat> Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, said John in explanation in case we didn't get it. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe and, uh, and let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. No, there was a period. It says period right there. Back to the scripture, verse 10. Uh huh. Now, mine says a little bit different because, and when it says a little different, it has a different connotation. It says, But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. He has no, yeah. Uh, Okay, well, if we're going to look at Bill's Magic Bible, which basically is saying, uh, talking about spiritual darkness. Well, he seems to have interpretations that I don't have. I don't know what that translation is. Okay, so um, what does your translation say for verse 2? Um, mine says, this Mary's brother Lazarus. Oh, no, that, wait, that's not the one. This sickness will not end in death. Verse 4, what does your say at 4? When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Obviously, I didn't really make a point there, did I? Okay. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. No worries. It's kind of like when he left out Mary's name when he talked about he loved Lazarus, Martha, and her sister. I was just going to bring that over here. That's interesting, too, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting, too. I mean, you, uh, below that, he named all three of them, but here he just left her out. Okay. Okay, wait, got to find my notes. I know where I am. Right. Um, let's talk about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Could you hold that a minute? I am convinced, oh wait, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Chapter 11. Uh, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So we've met Mary and Martha before. And Christ is staying in Bethany, which is two hours outside of Jerusalem. So when he's going into Jerusalem, preaching in the temple, he is probably regularly staying there because they are believers and followers. And, and you know, we're familiar with them. Uh, and then John tells us in verse, in verse 2, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. However, that incident has not happened yet in John. John's reminding his readers that that's who it is, but he hasn't told us that story. Okay? So if you're writing uh, a novel, you have to, you know, uh, uh, do pre foreshadowing and then set it up. And uh, if uh, Tom Sawyer is going to have a knife in order to cut Jim loose, we have to give him a knife sometime earlier in the, I only say that because Mark Twain wrote a very famous note in his, uh, 
in his rough draft give the boy a knife at one point because he had left that out over here. Anyway, you have, there isn't any precedent. So this is ancient literature and they don't follow all of those rules. And so if you've never read any of the other gospels and you don't know anything about the early church and you go, hair, huh? You know, there isn't anything to set that up. The story of Martha is actually the very next chapter after we finish this one. So he references it and then he tells the story in the next chapter. <coughs> and I think it's important to this chapter. So what I want to do is read that story and then I want to compare it to the same story in Luke and see if that gives us any enlightenment or further confuses us because we know that Judas didn't like the fact because and so many others didn't like the fact that she was a woman of ill repute. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. John doesn't say that. Okay. John is kind. Oh. <laughs> Arch. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, you're very judgmental. Okay. Uh, so chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So this is later after the incident that we're about to study. Here a dinner was given in his honor and Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclined at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Mary, this is the sister, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance and perfume. But one of the disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, John reminds us, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but to see Lazarus, whom they had raised from the dead. So the chief priests had made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going to go over to Jesus and bring their faith in him. Okay, so we have that. And, and she anoints his feet because symbolically he's being anointed for his burial. When you have a dead body under Jewish custom, is to be cleaned and uh, uh, oils are placed on it. It's not embalmed and you're buried within 24 hours. That's, that's the usual uh, plan. Uh, and so she's doing his uh, uh, burial anointing early, at least as far as Christ's concerned. Now, we have, I believe, a reference to this same incident in Luke. But the details are different. What is it Oscar Wilde said, the devil's in the details? Uh, you know, that was actually a misquote. The actual quote was from... A, uh, uh, an Anglican minister who said that God is in the details and it was Oscar Wilde making fun of religion when he misquoted it. That's an interesting touch. So let, let's go with the Anglican minister version. Uh, Luke 7.36 Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and inclined at the table. 
When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's table, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this, is the man who, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. How much, uh, how, how much of, blah, blah. now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume in my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has given little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has, given you go, uh, has saved you, go in grace. I don't know what you're talking about. There, there, it will be like a memorial to her mentioned through the Gospels or, that, that, or something like that. I think that was in Matthew or maybe Mark. Interpretation number one is that these are two separate incidents. That's possible. It's possible. Uh, but it opens some interesting questions. This is a Pharisee another one named Simon. There are four Simons in the Gospels. Uh, and this Pharisee has invited Christ to dinner, which is, now remember, they're the enemy. They're, they're after Christ. After chapter 11, they're going to be actively, uh, aggressively attempting to arrest and kill Christ. And here, he's inviting him to dinner. I think there's a history there. I think you have to explain why a Pharisee is inviting Christ to dinner. Uh, and, and the scripture is silent on that. I would say guessing that it would be one of his converts. I would think so. And we know there are at least two Sadducees, actually, Nicodemus and uh, Joseph Arimathea, who are both uh, converts. Um, there were probably Pharisees as well. Um, so we assume that he's a convert. What The fourth Simon in gospel is Simon the leper. And we don't know a whole lot about Simon the leper. He was a leper that Christ healed of leprosy. But there, there's no other reference to anything about him other than that. And I have seen commentators that tie Simon the leper to Simon the Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee who has been healed of leprosy by Christ and therefore become a convert which would explain why I invited him to dinner. You know, that, that, that kind of fits together. Again, that's supposition. Um, so we have a Pharisee who has invited Christ to dinner. He's hosting the rabbi. The rabbi is the guest of honor. And a prostitute is in his house? 
There ain't no prostitute in no Pharisee's house. So who was she? Maybe. No, not his house. Okay, anyway, that, 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 we're not going to go there. Because if he had known what kind of woman she was, so she must have been a woman of ill repute. It says right here that when uh, when a woman heard, it says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was at the table, then she went to the house. I think the writer is glossing over details that he does not feel is important to the point of his story, which is what you do in ancient literature. You don't fill in everything. Uh, and it's my inquisitive mind that wants to know how many angels are dancing in the head of a pin <laughs> that digs into this. And I realize it does not have any relevance to the message of the gospel, but I really enjoy trying to figure this stuff out. So you disagree with me? No. I think it does have a big impact on, on the gospel. How so? Because it shows that that he can save anybody, clean anybody up, and he can show that the compassion of people that, you know, some people think they're throwaway people. They're not throwaway people. Okay, okay, I'll take that. Um, when would a prostitute be in a rabbi's home? When she's kin. Martha's sister, so uh -huh. why shouldn't she be there? She probably lived there, to be truthful. Uh-huh. Now we're getting to it. Yeah, she probably lived there and If this there. is the same house, that this is Simon's home, that's also Mary and Martha's home, we have, don't have a connection to Simon and Mary and Martha, but I firmly believe that Simon is either a much older brother or the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, but I, again, there is nothing to substantiate this, and I am not the first to have this theory, by the way. So Mary, yes? So Mary is the, uh, the stereotypical preacher's daughter? Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just got myself into so much trouble right there. Wow. I said stereotypical. Martha is the stereotypical she preacher's daughter. Thank you very much. I think that's much more to the point. Now, one thing we, <laughs> Type A and control conscious. That's that's what preacher's daughters are. Now, one thing uh, still in trouble. Yeah. Martha, you know, when Martha went to Jesus and said, you know, she was doing all those things to Jesus. Mary was, and she went and said, Martha's not helping me, you know, cook and do all this. And Jesus, I, he said, well, she's ministering to me. She's do, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but basically he says she's ministering to me and you're doing what you're doing or something, and why are you yeah. complaining? Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about, Kevin? I've always been on Martha's side on that one. She should get off that floor and fit six that dinner. Anyway, um, that, that, that's, what, that's what my mama would have told me. Uh, but stop listening to that preacher and get in there and fix that donut. Yeah, it's like, it's like that. Shut the TV off. Sure, you got work to do. You got company. Uh, so, I don't think it's two instants because, okay, first of all, this one says alabaster jar of perfume. 
So it's a white jar of perfume. It's an expensive jar, which is what which is what John, no, it's what Luke notices. Now Luke didn't notice this, remember. Luke is a uh, disciple of Paul, and Paul is relating the story, or other people are relating, he's getting it secondhand. And so what people noticed was the jar in Paul's story. They don't know what kind of perfume, they just know it was expensive. John, I suspect, was there, and he names the perfume. We, and, and Nard is just an expensive ancient perfume. That's, well, there's you, nothing you fancy about it. Or, yeah, but that's also a translational issue. I'm, I'm not getting hung up on that one. I'm not sure uh, if you established this already, but I think in Luke, he's, talking, he's at a Pharisee's table. And in John, he's at Lazarus. Yes, but I'm saying it's the same table, brother. Same table. I, 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 I believe these are the same instance. Because... There is one thing here that is overwhelmingly unusual. It would not have happened twice. And that was a Hebrew woman took her hair out of a wrap and washed this man's feet with her hair. This is somewhere between scandalous and sacrilegious. It's, it's an incident. It's something the neighbors will talk about for a while. And I don't think this happened twice that way. And so I think we're talking about the same instance. And so if I interpret this according to Evans, Simon the Pharisee owned a home in Bethany and was a believer and invited Christ to stay with him when he was preaching in the temple, you know, where the Pharisees work. And he had three children, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, at least. And it's a large home because not only was Christ staying there, but his followers are staying there. So it's not, he's a wealthy man. And, uh, but in... John, there is no mention of Simon, and it only references Mary and Martha. And so I'm struggling with that. Why does Simon vanish? Okay, because Simon was the father. Uh, John wrote his gospel, uh, I, some people say 50 AD, 60 AD. He was an old man by the time he wrote his gospel, and he follows the synoptic gospels by at least 30 years. So the other Gospels were written fairly quickly after Christ's ascension. John wrote his at the end of his career, and it was a statement of his ministry as much as it was a testament to the faith. And so when he's writing, he's writing to all of Christendom, but also to the church as it existed in his time. And I would propose that Mary and Martha were known in that time as teachers or leaders in the Jerusalem church and that Simon had been out of the picture for a while, okay. you know? Or maybe John is just thinking it's more important to just mention those three. Yes, because of who he's writing his story to. And so they're going to relate to, oh, we know Mary, Martha, and, and we, we've heard of Lazarus, you know. Uh, and so I think that see, he's kind of translated the story a little bit to fit his audience, and that's why Simon the Pharisee disappears out of the picture. 
Now, what that tells us is that we have Mary and Martha, the daughters of a Pharisee, and I would suspect that Mary has had a speckled teenage difficult, you know, period as she's maturing. Mary's gotten into some trouble along the way. Somebody had to go rescue her out of the bar. I don't know. <laughs> you know, she's, uh, she's uh, disgraced her reputation. And uh, when, when Luke writes his, the story that he got was from a very judgmental Jewish perspective of the household. And when John writes his, it's from the perspective of 30 years of Christendom. I don't know. Well, I'm doing a lot of speculating, so why not? You know. Uh, I mean, it does seem but, like there is one because you know she's not happy with the fact that she wasn't helping with the housework and all of this. You know, just because you're mad at your sister, does that mean you have a rift? No. You know, I don't. I don't have a rift with my brothers, but I get mad at them pretty regular. <laughs> it's kind of my job. You know, uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't read too much into that. Okay. Okay, so I, as I chase this rabbit all the way around the world, going back to chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, his sister. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. I think it's, I would have written those two sentences differently if I were writing this, but hey, nobody asked me. Was the same one who poured perfume on the, on, on, on the Lord. Uh, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. One of my commentators said that Christ knew at this time that, that he was dead, which is why I wanted to know what your translation said. But then when I looked it up in the verses, it keeps referring to him as being uh, uh, sick or asleep. I think asleep is an interesting perspective too. And Ralph says that our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I know that I may wake him out of sleep. I think it's referring to death. Yes. I think what we get here is an interesting glimpse in the way Christ looks at us rather than the way we look at the present moment. Christ doesn't see the moment. He's looking at this from a perspective of eternity. Um, are we, when we pass away, are we really dead to God? We're, we're not dead to God. We're, we're eternal beings. We're eternal beings as much as an angel is. We're, we're not going anywhere. This life on this earth is just a trial. It's like, yes. And so when he says he sleepeth, uh, you know, he's dead, but, you know, he's about to come wake him up. Uh, that that, that uh, his spirit is about to come back into that body. That's just a little detail to God. Yes. Yes. And so he doesn't really see death as an end. It's not how his language is for a continuing soul. 
And I think that's consistent, as I jump all over the place here, with a reference in Job. Uh, in Job, Job loses everything. He loses, uh, and it lists the number of donkeys he loses. It lists, he lists all of his possessions and all of his crops. And he loses all of his children, and it lists the, uh, the numbers of children. And then in the end, I always thought it was interesting, God restores to him twofold. And it lists the numbers of all the things that he got back. And it's double what he had in wheat. It's double what he had in, in mules or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he gets the same number of children back. And I always thought, well, six children died and he got six more children. That's not twofold. Why, why isn't it twofold? And then I realized it's because his children are still his children. They're just dead. You know, so he does have twice as many children, but they're in heaven where they're going to yeah. spend the rest of eternity now. Mm -hmm. It's from the perspective of God. And I think as, and I'm getting white preachy for me, uh, <laughs> I think as a Christian, looking at our life and our situation and our current problem from an eternal perspective, Trying to see it as God views us makes our current situation of minuscule significance. And it seems overwhelmingly horrible to us now. Can't possibly get through it. But from God, well, from your story before. And, uh, but from God's perspective, that's. That's two o'clock Tuesday. It's not a big. It it's not a big deal. More urgent, like in his pursuit of us, like that. Yes. You know what I mean. And and that actually comes up in this scripture. That yeah. Uh huh. Remember what it's like. Paul said, you know, he said to suffer here is to be glorified in heaven with Christ. You know, I mean. But I do think it's unique how Jesus finally got frustrated with them and had to finally tell them Lazarus is dead because they just couldn't get it in their head. Yes, um, and this may be, well, yes. I was going to say this may be John trying to illustrate the point because he explains it to us, and then in the next verse, the, it's explained to us again. I mean, I, I think he's maybe thinking we're not following him or something. I don't know. Uh, what, but Rabbi, verse 8, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. I promise this was Thomas. This was Thomas. He does not want to go back and get hit by a rock. You know. Uh, nine, Jesus answered this enigmatic little paragraph. You can explain this to me. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. According to your translation. Well, when he's there okay. with them versus when he's going to be gone. Yeah. I, had a, I only say that because the first commentator I, I read said uh, Jesus wants us to use every hour in the day to meet his needs. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't think this is time management. Yeah. You know? Um, so he say Jesus is the light. John, in the beginning, establishes that Jesus is the metaphorical light of the world. And so 
Here, he's kind of calling back to chapter 1, and he's saying that a man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. So if you're, if you're with Jesus Christ, and you're walking into the uh, Judea where they're trying to hit you with rocks, you're with Jesus Christ. And so we should be, is it bravery to trust in Jesus who's more powerful than everything else? I think it's just, it's just faith. You know, uh, you don't have to be brave. You just uh, trust. And so that's what he's saying. Uh, trust in me. He says when he walks by night that he stumbles, he's saying eventually I'm not going to be here. So there is a little bit of urgency. Christ knows his time is coming to an end. Uh, he's got less than a week here, and uh, he's trying to get, get everything done. But it's not, it, I don't think that's a message to us that we need to hurry because, you know, Jesus is coming and we have to make it all happen. Uh, I think we can trust in God. That's not saying that we should be passive, but, but it's like, I think we can relax. Like every missionary that's ever gone overseas somewhere to, they, they didn't know where they were going or what was especially in the early days they had no idea what was going to happen to them going there but they it wasn't so much courage as it was they were trusting God that was sending them am, am I kind of correct in that book? I just read this morning that uh, courage the opposite of courage isn't fear it's armoring up Amen. so like if you're the opposite of courage is being like the opposite on of guard. courage is preparation. On guard and armoring up, like and putting barriers really, and then trusting is. I'm gonna have to mull on that a week. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See, because I've always heard that the opposite of love is fear and not hate. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, actually, that's true psychologically. Uh, the psychology books will back that up as far as. How your brain responds to stimuli—it's is love, fear, not not if hate is anger, you know, motivated anger. Brave, uh, any other weird thing? What's that? Like kind of like brave. Yeah, yeah, and and being loved is bravery. Like being vulnerable. Hmm. It was Brene Brown. It's who? Renee Brown, he said for the Renee, internet. Renee Brown. Renee, 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 Renee. I've never read that one. Okay. Uh, okay, so, um, I'm sorry, did you say something, Bill? I missed you for, for a second. You good? Okay. Um, so, the disciples are confused. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. The disciples go, what? Well, if you sleep, let him get better. And uh, 14, Lazarus is dead, you doofus. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Um, okay, I added the doofus part. That wasn't true. No, I figured he was frustrated here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the frustration coming up the page. Um, <laughs> verse 16, when Thomas called Didymus, uh, I don't know if that throws anybody. Most people in, uh, in, in the gospel have two names. They have the name they were born with, which is Hebrew, And then they have a Greek name because uh, Greek and Reformed Aramaic are the common, uh, um, you speak Reformed Aramaic and you write in Greek. So they were were operating in like at least three different languages. 
And so in doing so, you ended up being called one name on paper and another name uh, verbally. And so Thomas means the twin. And so when he goes and records himself with the Romans in Greek, because that's what they used, uh, or Latin, I'm just confusing myself at this point, uh, they use the Greek word for twin, which is just the, the, the content of his name, which is Didymus. And so they just translated his name into Greek, and it's basically the same thing. So Thomas Didymus. And uh, said uh, to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we can die with him. Okay, I would, there are two or three ways that you could interpret that actually. He is a pessimist. Yes, and I think there may be some of that in there. Uh, he did have rocks thrown at him, evidently, the last time he was in Judea. And being a wise person, he would like to avoid that incident again. I totally get that. If you know where they're going to throw rocks at you, stay away from that part of the playground. That has been my general philosophy of life most of my life. So, uh, at the same time, Christ is going to that part of the playground. You know, this is where we're going, Thomas. And he says, to his credit... Okay. So he's not excited about it, but he's obedient. He's. It's a little confusing. It might have no precise sense. It was his love for Christ that made him say this. Well, I think he's a committed, loving pupil of the Messiah. He recognizes Christ as the Messiah. He realizes this is the calling part of his life. And his Messiah, who is God, is going down there with the throwing rocks. <sighs> I get it. I, I would follow Christ too, I think. I want to believe that I would follow Christ too. I would also have both my eyes open and I would be watching every corner. Maybe had some padding. As soon as some guy <laughs> black jumped out, I would jump because I did not want to get hit <laughs> by a rock. Because they picked up big rocks back then. Yes. <laughs> so let's say this is a testament to Thomas's faith and not so much his cynicism or his pessimism. I think if you're willing to father follow God into the darkness, then you're, you're a follower. I think God's looking for obedience. All of those little emotions can find their way home later. Still being better than Zachary Thomas. Yes. I'll tell this story. Um, when we first came to Greenville, we visited several churches, and at the time it was uh, uh, it was Judy and I had both my sons at home, and uh, we would visit a church and come out and sit in the van that we owned at the time and kind of confer and what we think of this church. And, uh, and, and, and we valued my son, uh, kid boys' opinions. I wanted their, on, I, I wanted their honest evaluation. And uh, we went to a couple churches where I was like, oh, maybe, and everybody else got in the car and went, no. You know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so uh, we, we found another church, you know, and went on down the road. 
And uh, we attended, uh, sorry Brent, first assembly in Greenville for uh, quite some time. And I kind of liked it. Uh, the, the culturally, it kind of fit us pretty well. It, it felt like other churches that we had been in and done pretty well with. I liked the preaching. I was uh, kind of ambivalent about the Bible study, to be fair, but that's another story. Uh, they kind of had a youth program. Uh, and we attended for about two months, maybe, something like that. And uh, we, we, we just kind of, one day at breakfast, we sat around going, you know, this isn't our church. So we came to First Assembly. And I, I, I came, came here, came Crossroads. And uh, I went to a, 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 a life class because it was named funny. It took me a while to figure out that that was Sunday school. And, uh, and it was led by this super Republican, you know, weirdo with a pompadour. And this, uh, uh, well, he was... Uh, a Mennonite. It was a Republican and a Mennonite leading this Bible study. They were all weird characters. Everybody was strange, and but the but 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 the conversation was solid, and I really enjoyed the Bible study with all these weirdos. <laughs> and and we went. Is it true? <laughs> It is the truth, and uh, we, we went into the service, and, and you know, the pastor was different. Everybody kept talking about how cool he was. I wasn't sure. And we, we came out to the van, and, 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 and we talked about it, and I said, I, I, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure I like any part of this. But I really, this is, I think this is where we're supposed to go. And Judy said something very similar. I didn't like this. I didn't like what, there, were, there was very little flattering to say. Uh, and, but she said, but I think this is, this is where we're, we're supposed to go. <laughs> and, Clay, and Clay came in and said, you know, well, I went to the youth and this guy did this. And they, they was so, they were so weird. And they did that. And yeah, I think. This is, this, is, this is where we're supposed to be. <laughs> and all three of us kind of did the Thomas thing and went, okay. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm, I'm pretty convinced this is where we're supposed to be. You know, it's, it's been 15 years now, so. Uh, anyway, I think, I think God wants us to be obedient. We need to comply. And if you... If you just know that's where God wants you, even if you don't like the idea, it's you're, you won't have the whole picture. You're not looking at it from his eternal perspective. Fair? Okay, and I've gotten way preachy, and we got all the way to verse 17, and we will pick it up there next time because I'm losing my crowd. Uh, <laughs> signing off, and I, Brent Graham, if you're listening, I apologize if I've insulted you. I really, really like your church. God bless. <laughs>